0: Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with an inspiring leader, Who is doing great work in the leadership and professional and personal development area? It is my honor to welcome Eddie Turner Jr. back to the show. Eddie is an executive and leadership coach, best selling author, facilitator, keynote speaker, and podcast host. Organizations who want to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie, who is the leadership accelerator. He is described as the consummate friendly professional and has worked for several of the world's most admired companies. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Eddie is a C-suite advisor and national media commentator with years of information technology expertise. He is a published writer and bestselling author of 140 Simple Messages to Guide Emerging Leaders and is the host of the Keep Leading podcast. Eddie, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, Tina. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Eddie, we talked about a lot of interesting things in our last session, and one of the things we touched upon is your work in the leadership space. Based on your experience, both professionally as well as your work helping others and just you know living life, what have you found are some of the qualities that make a great leader, and how do you work with your clients to try to bring these qualities out in them?
1: That's an interesting question. I'm thinking about that as you say that. I believe that leadership, as I always when i'm, I'm and I'm thinking about this as I close every episode of my podcast, or I talk about how leadership is about action. And that is a different revelation that I've come to over the last couple of years than anything I would have said in the past. My first response, and historically would have been something about the need for a leader to be humble, the need for a leader to be decisive, and a bunch of other things. But I will say that my career was spent working for some of the best corporations, and most notably, I would say my time at GE. And at GE, I always say I, I watch the best lead the best, because GE for many, many years was now for producing great leaders. They produced, created the first corporate university. And one of the most esteemed privileges an employee could have was to be invited to Crotonville. So I learned a lot at GE by watching leaders and through the curriculum that they put employees through. I later went to Northwestern University and I realized I had a lot more to learn about leadership because the program I was enrolled in was all about leadership uh, for the degree. And it helped me to see there are new thoughts around leadership. For the first time, I was being exposed to some of the some thinking around leadership that I'd never heard before. So I went through a different evolution. And most recently, my time at Harvard under one of the renowned, most renowned professors on leadership is Ron Heifetz. Dr. Hyfitts' adaptive leadership is the new leadership model that I've really incorporated over the last couple of years because of that program.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about it? I would love to hear a little bit more about it.
1: Yes, so when you ask me about what, it, what makes a great leader these days, I would say an adaptive leader. That would be my, my two-word answer would be that. Now, beneath that, uh, there are a few things. There's a leader who understands the difference between technical challenges and adaptive challenges. Far too often when leading a group of people, when leading an organization, we try to apply technical solutions when really it's an adaptive challenge that requires new learning. So great leaders understand how to identify the difference between the two and then take appropriate action. They also understand the difference between leadership and influence. Before, I would have used those words interchangeably. I now understand that influence is a completely different aspect of leadership. And it is something that I talk about in my second book that I was doing for many years, but I didn't have a language for it. I knew that there were certain things I would do and how I would comport myself where I could effect change. Even when I didn't have a leadership title in the organization, I was able to accomplish things and move even the C-suite of organizations, that CEO level, CFO level. But I didn't have that language until uh, later in life. And so I now really work with a lot of emerging leaders especially, but even leaders in, in senior positions about the power of influence. Because even when we have a title, where we have authority, authority alone is not what gets things done. It's our level of influence that really gets the most impact. And quite frankly, if people understood the power of influence, they would point to their authority a lot less. You wouldn't have to say, I'm the boss, or I'm this, or I'm that. Because of the power of influence, people would readily follow a leader.
0: Everything that you have just said resonated, and I do agree with you that the nature of what makes a great leader and the qualities has definitely evolved over time, but I think that makes sense because the world's changed. The way that business is conducted has changed. The globalization, the technological advances, there are so many different dynamics now at play um, when compared to how things used to be done even 5 or 10 years ago. Everything that you've said makes complete sense. One question, as you were speaking that sort of popped in my mind was, um, as you were going through some of the qualities that make a good leader, I was wondering if you have any comments about or anecdotes about bad leadership, um either qualities or circumstances that you've seen over the years where, You've learned about what good leadership is by seeing bad leadership in action.
1: Yes. And <laughs> as you ask that question, I'm thinking about uh, the episode of my podcast that just dropped the other day where the, the guest uh, said, uh, well, I was asking him about his book. And when he interviewed people, he realized that everybody is used to bad bosses, because we are surrounded by them. We have all these leadership books out here, but you still have a bunch of bad bosses. And when he interviewed people, he said that everybody can recall that one good boss, but very few people can tell you that they've had two good bosses in a row. And when I thought, I said, hmm, you know, I don't know if I've had two good bosses in a row. So we have far more string of those bad ones than we do good ones. And so that's the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that question. So when it comes to what have I seen in terms of bad bosses, we all have that individual or slew of individual individuals we can point to about their behavior that was poor behavior that we don't ever want to see in an organization. But for some reason, we have it and we have it in abundance. And so... As an executive coach and a leadership coach, I get called in to work with individuals to try to take them to a new level of behavior, a new level of competence and consciousness to where that behavior is no longer the norm. But you know the most surprising thing that happens sometimes when I'm called in, Tina? And what happens? The person that's called me in to help others is really the person that needs the biggest help.
0: Uh Aha, isn't that called projection?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That and a few other things. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes, you know, it's it's after I'm into the engagement for a little while, and I've gone through a couple of people in the organization, on the team, and I realize, you know what? It's really the person who's paying me that really needs my senses more than anyone else. And that's unfortunate. But I say that to say that, yeah, we... We have a, a lot of uh, individuals around us who are sharp technically. They are astute. They're intelligent. They're bright. They've come from the best institutions of higher learning that you can think of. But there's, there's a component that's missing when it comes to interacting with other humans. And so some of that is just... Uh, It's cultural. Some of it is generational. Some of it, it's a lot of different things. And so it's like your favorite flavor of ice cream, right? What's good, it just depends on other people. Uh, Everybody has their own different definition. But I think universally, there's some things that people pretty much agree on that make a individual a beloved person when it comes to leadership. And so I try to work with people to, to identify what are those universal truths, if you will, that everyone would say, hmm, yeah, that person, when you think about a good leader, I immediately latch on to these qualities. And, you know, we we, we work on that. And so from different institutions, different countries, um, some things change, but there are some things, they are just the same, no matter where you go.
0: You know, very well put. And I'd say, as I was sitting here thinking and, and listening to what you were saying, that there are two things that come, came to mind when you were speaking about some of the universal truths. And I do think, as you said, that from one organization to the next, how people define what a good leader is and what that paradigm looks like may change a bit. But there are two qualities that, um, particularly recently I've heard, are really important to people, and that is authenticity and transparency.
1: Do you want to comment on that? I believe those two are important. I'm thinking about a client who I was with yesterday, <laughs> and those were the two that you used. But yeah, so that's why I say, yeah, it just depends on different organizations. I think with authenticity, what people are looking for is this person who is not manufactured. It's not this person, and this is what I, sometimes I, I have to explain to clients when I show up and they say, well, I want to be a good leader, and I want to be like this person. Right. And I I say right away, my goal is not to help you walk like, talk like, think like, look like this other person. My job is to pull from within you great qualities that we collaborate on and come up to an agreement that you want to achieve and make you a great leader that somebody else looks at and says, I want to look like that person, look like her because she's a great leader. So, yeah, it, it, you know, when a person is authentic, they're not manufactured, they're not a replica of someone else. They are unapologetically themselves, and it's a beautiful thing. I was with another client, again, uh, this was two days ago, and she just berated herself about her appearance. She didn't feel like she could be a leader looking the way that she looked. And I said, what's wrong with the way you look? She said, well, it's not, I don't look like this, I don't look like that. And she starts to break this down. And I said, please don't ever say that again. Yes, some people look like that and they are a leader. But do you know there are other people that look just like you? You are beautiful the way you are. You are a leader the way you are. And it's about how we wear what we have and how we take ownership of it. And that's not to say that we can't improve and you know do this, do those slow, slight things. But can we authentically show up and be proud of who we are at any given moment of time and not put happiness on the shelf until we uh, get a certain salary, until we have a certain waistline, until we have uh, a certain uh, set of clothes hanging in our closet.
0: It's about doing it now, right? So Eddie, I would love, I know we spoke in our last episode a little bit about the book that you've published. It's called 140 Simple Messages to Guide Emerging Leaders. And you are also working on a book that I believe is scheduled to come out later this year called Facilitated Collaboration. Can you tell our listeners about your books?
1: Yes. I spend a lot of time working with emerging leaders. And when I think about a lot of the things I say in speeches, in everyday conversation, and in uh, coaching engagements, I said, you know, there's a lot of things I quote from people who were important to me. And wouldn't it be nice if I could share all of these people, their wisdom and words of my own and uh finding myself the older I get quoting my parents and grandparents and people in my life, at just the time when we I was like, why are you never saying do this? it Right,
0: exactly. I mean, isn't it great when you said, Oh my God, I when you were when we were kids, we never we always said, I can't believe you're saying that to me. And now as we say the things that our parents said to us in the moment, we're like, I can't believe I just said that.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And so I thought, wouldn't it be nice to put those all in one uh volume for people to be able to read? So the idea. Was that uh, I'm a heavy user of social media. And one of the things I've observed is obviously people won't necessarily always read a full book, but most people will read a tweet. And so I made 140 messages that are the length of a tweet, the new 280 character limit, not the old 140. And I uh, made that into the book that can be used for emerging leaders and leaders who are in transition, meaning that. Uh, there's not necessarily anything new that they're going to find there, although many have told me, much to my surprise, how many uh, experienced leaders are tell me they value it. But they will find reminders that they need. And there's lines under e- underneath each one for people to write actions that they're going to take. And I always uh, love how people send me messages or tweets or uh, images of what they've done on a particular page about a message that resonated with them. And the other reason why I wrote that book is because I used to write for Forbes, and I and and I I did a bunch of Q and A columns, where they would take a topic and ask their contributors to contribute their thoughts on that topic. And so that was a nice exercise in in showing my diversity of thought on things that I could write about, but also it showed the effectiveness of 400 words or less, which is what uh, 400 characters or less, which is what that was capped to. And so those articles were read by 30 and 40,000 people. And so that made me believe that uh, there was a market for short messages. And so uh, the first book, that's why it it exists and it's it's done well. And I'm always pleased to see how different readers receive it. And tell us about the book that's underway. The book that's underway is the book I should have finished a long time ago. (laughs) It's called (laughs) Facilitated Collaboration, How to Facilitate, Influence, And lead and change everything and the idea behind that is uh, going back to my work as a facilitator I learned through the power of facilitation that you can change everything literally because it's a form of leadership and it's a form of leadership and I hadn't considered that until I was removed from from, uh, my last uh, project and through the power of influence, putting those skills together, getting things done, moving groups, and again, even people far senior to me in organizations. And so, in that book, I explore the model that uh, that I've used to facilitate for major organizations. I talk about my success stories, and I have an assessment in there that I take from um, the chair of the International Institute for Facilitation. Let me say that again. The International Institute for Facilitation, known as INFAC, which I sit on, the chair is Eileen Dowse. So she created an assessment for facilitators. And so she's given, given me permission to reproduce that in my book. So people will be able to take an assessment to see how they measure up. And then after they have that number, take a set of steps or actions for how they can improve.
0: Sounds very cool. So when is your when is your second book due out?
1: It's probably gonna come out the last day of the year. <laughs> because <laughs> I am working on i pushed this deadline out a couple of times. It's late, late, late to twenty uh, twenty nineteen. <laughs>
0: well, I'm looking forward to it and um I'm looking forward to reading your first book. So quick question for you about you looking sort of in the mirror at yourself and being the self-aware person that you are. You're a coach, you're a facilitator, you're a trusted advisor, and you are an inspiration to people. When you look at your personal habits and routines, what do you think are a few things that really contribute to you being as effective and successful as you are?
1: I'm a lifelong learner, number one. I absolutely love learning. I love reading. I love going to educational events and conferences. In fact, my best friend and I were talking. Uh, I like nice things, but I am not driven by nice things anymore. I used to get a new car every other year. I My car now is really old. <laughs> <laughs> don't. certain things don't matter to me anymore. There's a lot of things I don't do that I used to do when I was younger. I won't bore you with the details. But I said to him, I now will take that money and I'll go to an educational conference in a heartbeat or I'll enroll in a program in a university in a heartbeat. I do that all the time. I'll spend thousands of dollars on this because the education matters to me. Experiences matter to me. And so uh, those two E's are how I feel my life now. And any opportunity that I have to, to learn something new, to submit existing learning, and take me deeper in the areas that I'm passionate about, that's where I spend all my time. And so for me, I, the three things I've built my business on, don't tell my clients, but they're things I would do <laughs> free of doing what I do.
0: Very cool. So what advice do you have for our listeners out there? Um, either aspiring leaders or veteran leaders, do you have any, anything you'd like to say to them um, as they continue on their respective paths?
1: Leaders at all levels. Uh, I believe we all are emerging leaders or all should be emerging as a leader because even the tenure of our CEOs can be very short, right? Because our competition is always getting better times and and the economy, things will change and our competition will get better. So we have to continue to get better. We have to continue to improve. So uh, emerging leaders and senior leaders alike should continue to grow their skills and develop themselves. Now, one of the best ways of doing that is to get a mentor if possible. But of course, as a coach, I'm going to suggest getting a coach. Uh, Every top athlete has a coach. And I always look at uh, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan and, you know, uh, all of our great athletes, uh, they've they've always had a coach. They've always had that person that even though they weren't as good as the person they're coaching, right, they have the ability to look at an area, help them pinpoint with laser focus on how to get that that swing improved or how to uh, improve that jump shot. And so every great corporate athlete should likewise invest in coaching if possible. So,
0: if you had the ability to go back in time and tell your younger self three things that maybe you've learned over the years or just epiphanies that you've had, what would those things be?
1: I would not have gone as long as I did without a degree. I would have gone to college right away. And at one point in my life, I want to be like you, I want to be an attorney. And so it would have been. Uh, probably some area of law that I would have practiced. I always saw myself arguing cases in a courtroom. So I would have gone to school a lot sooner and gotten my degree, and it would have uh, led to either a, a JD or a PhD. The other thing is a lesson that I only time has taught me in, in old age <laughs> uh, is empathy for others and to be slow about judging. And it's um, to me, that's probably been the biggest difference for me uh, because it changes how it changes my outlook and um, looking at others differently and not holding them to my standard. And or, you know, my level of perfectionism and and such uh, would make me happier because I'm less disappointed. And so and it also just makes for great relationships. So uh, I think that would probably be the other thing.
0: Those are really great lessons. So what's next for you, Eddie? You've got a lot of great stuff going on.
1: What do you see
0: for yourself in the short to long term?
1: Just continuing to take make the most of every day. I said that recently because I guess the other thing is as we get older, we start to realize we're, we're not invincible anymore. <laughs> I actually uh, I had uh, something happen recently and I just realized that Yeah, I kind of got knocked down a little bit and I'm like, wow. Um, So I literally am really big now on making the most out of every single day and making the most out of relationships. Uh, People in my life who matter, uh, really taking the time to tell them they matter and tell them how they matter and why they matter. Uh, And so not making it cursory, not making it perfunctory. So when I tell my wife I love her, I tell her why I love her and what it is I love about her and why I can't live without her. And, uh, so yeah, for me, it's day by day, still setting long-term goals as a coach. I obviously have to do that. Um, but my, my, my more immediate thing is appreciating every day, living in the moment and then setting those longer term goals, uh, for myself, my business and my family.
0: That's really awesome. We are at time, believe it or not. And I would love to hear any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience and also, it would be great if you could let our listeners know where they can find you,
1: well, as your show is entitled, uh, we all have a point in our life where we will have to make a paradigm shift, or we should make a paradigm shift. And so, what is that going to be, and what uh, where can we do that? And so uh, be aware, be willing to take ch- take chances to explore and don't get stuck in a rut if we find ourselves doing the same thing all the time. Change it up because uh, we, we don't want to get comfortable. Everything changes. And as Jeffrey Hazelet says, adapt, change, or die. So be willing to make adaptions. You can find me on social media anywhere you type Eddie Turner. I uh, hope to pop up. <laughs> so my, my website's Eddie Turner LLC, but type me anywhere and I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to connect with you and I welcome the opportunity.
0: Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an amazing hour and I really look forward to continuing our conversation sometime soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed the second part of our conversation with Eddie Turner and that you will join us for next week's new episode. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every
1: Tuesday.